This is Mass Action Podcast. Revolutionary socialist propaganda to save the planet, smash white supremacy, and stop World War III. This is John Beecham, your host. On this episode of Mass Action Podcast, a special episode about China, we have Oscar Bastille from the Marxist Think Tank and Danny Haifong from Black Agenda Report. Okay, there's no commentary this episode. Up next, Danny Haifong. All right, next up on Mass Action Podcast, we have Danny Haifong. Danny is a journalist and a writer with and an activist and a writer with Black Agenda Report. He is the author of American Exceptionalism, American Innocence, A People's History of Fake News from the Revolutionary War to the War on Terror. Danny, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, again, thank you. And Look, we have you on. I was, I'm very, I've been wanting to do this for a while now. I really, really want to have a concerted effort to respond against the attacks on China. I think that the people of the United States and anybody beyond the United States who does not know and is not informed really has to be clued in to how insidious the attacks on China are, to how much they are meant to not only target China, but to target us and disarm us in the struggle to get everything we need to have done during this time of pandemic and also just all the other crises that are facing us. I mean, you know, the the Trump administration has blamed China for the virus in numerous ways. There are states that are um, suing China for the effects of the virus. Um, The Secretary of Health and Human Services of uh, the United States of America, Alex Azar went to the the, the recent uh, World Health Organization meeting and literally just opened up a racist attack on on China. Um, when what we need is cooperation, we need global cooperation. I mean, I could go on and on, but I mean, really, really, uh, blaming China or scapegoating China in this current situation we're in, when we need something exactly opposite. Uh, is just criminal. And Danny, I, I asked you on uh, to give us, you know, it, you know, some some of the reality, the reality of the situation, the reality of China, uh, so on and so forth. So why don't you just start us off there? Sure. Um, you know, everything you said is true, and I think it's really important for listeners to understand that. The attacks on China right now are part and parcel of a larger military and economic agenda that is being led by the United States and its imperialist system. The attacks on China are meant to achieve two things. On the one hand, uh, the United States is in an economic and political crisis, one that it has never seen before, but stems from a crisis that is always looming and is always ever present in its just everyday relations. And that has been uh, totally escalated by the COVID-19 pandemic. So there is every interest uh, by the U.S. ruling class to politically target China as a scapegoat uh, to ensure that uh, people in the United States, especially working people, have their gaze set on a foreign enemy rather than a class enemy. So, you know, in effect, we also have a military agenda from the United States, which is ongoing and a longstanding trend where China is now the target of the U.S. military strategy of great power competition. It sees China as the biggest threat to U.S. quote unquote national security um, because China is a rising economic power in the world. It's the second largest economy. It is the largest in terms of purchasing power parity. And uh, by 2030, uh, between 2030 and 2040, we can expect China to be a bigger economy than the United States. And a reason why this is so important for the U.S. military is because China doesn't play on the same terms as 
the monopoly capitalists and the uh, finance capitalists that dominate the U.S. ruling class and the U.S. imperialist system. China uh, plays by terms of win-win cooperation with the world. It is investing uh, trillions of dollars in infrastructure projects across the global south. And it proudly champions a foreign policy that is non-hegemonic in character. And so all of this is very dangerous for monopoly capital and finance capital because hegemony and especially military hegemony is critical and the United States cannot afford, its ruling class cannot afford to lose it. So we have a much bigger situation than what the ruling class is presenting to us. They're presenting racism, racist vitriol against the people of China and anti-communist tropes, which absolutely do nothing to address the crisis here at home in the United States and ultimately just fuel tensions for a potential war with another nuclear power, which is not in the interest of working people in the United States. What is in the interest of working people in the United States is to build relationships with governments around the world and people around the world who are being attacked by the very same class enemy that workers here in the United States are facing down each and every day that this virus spreads and that this Great Depression era like economic crisis is uh, producing. Excellent. Well, you know, I, when you're talking, I was thinking, you know, you're pointing out the larger picture, the global picture, and which I think you rightly assess in so many ways. But for so many people, for so many workers here in the United States, right, what they're seeing right now is something that's in front of them. This government has opposed to the Chinese government and the Chinese people is failing the people of the United States. I mean, we're really on the course, and I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but we're on the course to see perhaps millions of people die, right? I mean, we already have a, over 100,000 or close to 100,000 according to the government reports, and those reports are probably inadequate. It could be as many as double the amount of people who've died from the coronavirus in a couple of months. It's 200,000 people, right? And with this drive to open up and with the dislocation and discoordination of the American public based on the type of system we have, we, we can unfortunately really not predict but expect the amount of deaths to actually completely escalate. So you have, and, and you have people here who are being told it's time to go back to work. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, it's kind of leveled off. It's time to go back to work, which is complete nonsense. Georgia and Florida have actually been lying about the numbers in order to try to get people to go back to quote unquote normal and go back to work. So, at, so the question is, right, you know, at the same time, the Trump administration and others, I mean, there's no real uh, uh, resistance from the Democrats on the attacks on China. In fact, Joe Biden is joining them and trying to escalate the attacks on China, to be honest, right? So for the American public, right, they're almost on their heels. And then what does the Trump administration and Democrats do? They attack them with the scapegoating. You know what I mean? They kind of a, just like a bullet in the middle of, of our forehead saying, okay, you think things are bad? Well, you know, we have this global situation where we have China rising or, or we have China who lied to us, which of course they didn't, lied about the uh, epidemic. And that should be your problem. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and from my point of view, I mean, China is actually, um, they just gave $2 billion to the WHO and they're saying that if they, they're working on treatments and vaccines and they're saying that if we have anything, we're going to make it public, we're going to make it available to the public. Um, you know, at, at the very precise time at a world or at a global crisis where we need cooperation, we actually, I mean, I'll even go this far. I'll say, well, we probably should have China's leadership. Um, we have just, just the complete escalation of the worst things of U.S. imperialism. Yes. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Marxist-Leninist and, um, me too. You know, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important to understand as we're talking about all of this is that in the United States, there tends to be a, a very subjective orientation to global politics, to political economy, to any social justice issue, et cetera. 
a lot of our ideas come from the corporate media. A lot of our uh, education comes right from the capitalist class and capitalism uh, really thrives on a sort of idealism, especially the ideology of racism and white supremacy. And so a lot of people have successfully, and this is unfortunate, uh, been convinced that China is the enemy here. Uh, you know, there was a recent Harris poll that showed that over two thirds of Americans have a negative view of China. And if you read most of the American left, even the American left on the radical end of the spectrum, Marxist, anarchists, etc., cetera, uh, you wouldn't really be able to discern a difference between them and what you could read out of the New York Times or Bloomberg Magazine, et cetera. So uh, we really face a huge challenge here. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's very immature and uh, there is a lot of discussion now about how China, you know, uh, bungled its initial response, how China uh, is uh, lying about its numbers, how, you know, there's just a lot of focus on how China had made so many mistakes. And it's quite obvious that the reason why this is a focus on the side of the ruling class is because uh, there needs to be a scapegoat to justify all of the disastrous policies and the consequences that emanated from those policies when COVID-19 uh, began its spread here. But then there's also this very insidious uh, racist and white supremacist foundation that exists here in the United States, which uh, makes these lies so effective that people really can believe them because already inherently they view the people of China, the People's Republic of China, the Communist Party of China as inherently evil and not really worthy of existence at all. And there are so many double standards we could talk about in relation to this. But I think what's important here is that uh, a lot of the critique that we get in defending China's response to COVID-19 and just defending China's right to exist is the fact that a lot of folks have been convinced that China has uh, been an inherently evil force in human history. Its revolution has been a heinous and murderous and dictatorial and authoritarian uh, society and system over the course of the last 70 years. And thus, there's no reason to defend it. And uh, it's that basis which has made this new national security strategy, or at least this uh, built upon national security strategy of the U.S. military, uh, so effective and the propaganda uh, on China so effective as well. Well, I agree. And right, they have to have a, considering all that, I mean, they have to have a scapegoat um, because my goodness, the United States has close to 30% of the world's cases and deaths. And the United States only makes up 4% of the world's population. Um, Vietnam has zero death. I mean, according to Vietnam, I mean, maybe they have a couple. I mean, we don't know if, I mean, I, 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 I err on the side of what the Vietnamese government is saying, quite honestly. Um, but they have zero. The South Korea government, very low. North Korean government, zero, according to them. And they're on the freaking border of China. I mean, do you know what I mean? So there, there absolutely has to be a scapegoat. And I will say this, I think in the, with the stuff you bring up about like the white supremacist nature of the United States, the racist nature of the United States, and how it dovetail, dovetails with this idea of like individual quote unquote liberty or the sort of self-indulged uh, individualism uh, in the heart of empire that completely perpetuates itself and is the worst thing to be in existence at this point in history, because it's not just a pandemic, it's the environmental crisis, right? It's the, it's the refugee and immigration crisis. It's the possibility of a World War III, which are all endemic to capitalism being such a dominant force in global relations at this point in history where the people who live in the center of the empire who have been steeped and raised on this and infected on the virus of Western ideology cannot see clearly 
that a revolution that has happened in the largest country in the world, right? Whatever its contradictions are, whatever its historical evolution is, has allowed the people there to confront and weather the worst pandemic that we have faced as humanity in a hundred years based on a much more collective, not, not, it's not genetically connected, collective. This whole thing about Asians are genetically more collective. It's bullshit, right? They're like the Chinese people are individuals just as much as anybody else. I mean, you know, cause you can see it. It's not at the same time. The Western media is all like, Oh, China loves Western capitalism because they love the movies. You know what I mean? They love music. You know what I mean? They love the music. They're on the internet all the time. It's bonkers bullshit. Chinese people, Asian people, obviously, it doesn't even need explanation or as individualistic as anybody else. Right? I have a seven-year-old child. I understand that humans have an individual side of their nature. Do you know what I mean? An individual interest. But China, their history and as a society and their struggle against colonialism and imperialism has placed them in a place where they are more likely to understand what it means to like struggle together collectively to actually have individuals survive and have more individualism. But the people in the United States are at a point where they can't see that. And this is why even swimming upstream, because I certainly want to reach like a popular, I want to talk to, I want to intersect with, I want to reach the masses of people. But at the same time, you can't do that if you can't speak some, you, you can only do it. I will say you can only do it if you speak the most essential truths. And regarding our, the, 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 the existence of China and China's role, the people of the United States have to know as much as possible that, you know, the, the Chinese people, the Chinese government's not our enemy. To say China is the future is not to elide the rest of humanity, but it's just to say, you know, and it's clear an example. This is why the U.S., the Trump administration is freaking out and everybody else is freaking out because it's just a clear example right now. It's like China. Yeah. Yeah. It's like China. You know, it's like Trump said when he announced his inauguration, it's like China, 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 but it's like the reverse of that. It's, you know, it's the, uh, the dialectic of that. It is China, China, China. Yeah. And that's what makes all of this so critical in the hostilities that the United States and its imperialist system is, uh, you know, uh, leveling against China are all, a part of a reality. And that reality is, is that China is the future. And, you know, as, as hard as Americans uh, may take it, it's an objective fact that China is not only going to be the largest economy in the world very soon, but it will be the largest socialist economy that the world has ever seen. And uh, it, it's also an objective fact that regardless of the contradictions and uh, so many folks from the left all the way to the right want to talk about uh, the contradictions that they've all studied from the corporate media of China's political process. But also an objective fact uh, is that this country is dedicated to socialism. Uh, you cannot read any political document coming out of China. You cannot observe any economic a uh, plan coming out of China without understanding that, yeah, this country is dedicated to socialism and it's dedicated to building socialism on its own terms under the conditions that it faces right now. And uh, this is very important, I think, for Americans to understand, especially working class people, because uh, in a sense, uh, the rise of China does not come at the expense of humanity as a whole regardless of whatever consequences and, uh, you know, China itself debates all the time, uh, what are the costs and benefits, you know, costs and benefits of all of the reforms that it puts into place in order to develop its society, you know, regardless of whatever contradictions emerge from its political trajectory, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, socialism is being built and China's rise does not come at the expense of anyone. Actually, uh, in the last 30 plus years, China's rise has actually accounted for all the poverty reduction in the world. And this is a very important fact because when I was in China, people would tell me, here in China, we don't privilege bourgeois individual rights, we privilege economic rights. And you can go into 
the uh, Constitution of the People's Republic of China. And one of the first points is the right to work, right? The right to rest. I mean, these are things that in the United States we cannot fathom. You can't find anywhere in the U.S. Constitution where it says you have the right to a job. And in China, this is very important. And I, you know, I just reread the Communist Manifesto, and this is very important too to understand, is that if you are a socialist, if you, under, if you want socialism, then you have to understand that an underdeveloped country like China has mandated the right to work, not because it's trying to become an egalitarian society right now, but that it understands that class struggle continues under socialism and that the right to work and that equal pay for equal work is one of the most important things that a socialist society from an underdeveloped uh, semi-colonial status can do to lift the standards of living of people and to build a road, however imperfect it may be and however much fraught and class struggle it may be uh, toward communism, because that's the ultimate objective of socialists. And so here in the United States, we're starting from a position where we have an imperialist government that is terrorizing the world, that is terrorizing black folks here in the United States, indigenous people, uh, Latinos, uh, oppressed peoples and working class peoples of all colors and creeds, oppressing them mightily. And uh, we have a duty to focus on how that imperialist government is, uh, you know, conducting uh, the, the worst excesses and heinous crimes in a time where the world is starving for a real collective and cooperative model of social relations um, domestically and abroad. So that, um, I think, is what is most critical to me when we talk about China is understanding both its nature from the perspective of the people there and of the government there, as well as understanding what our duty is, because our duty is definitely not to determine how uh, the people of China dictate their society. It is to determine how we here are going to uh, make the world and make our situation uh, more conducive to um, socialist construction. Yeah, and we're we're running out of time, but let me let me say this. I, I agree with you. I think the world is yearning for and needs uh, an entirely new set of social relations, and China is not on the other side of that equation at all. Um, regardless, people have all kinds of messed up notions about China, and quite honestly, other Asian countries. I mean, North Korea. Um, Vietnam, you know, and really that whole part of that whole, I mean, many parts of the world, honestly. I mean, you know this, I know this. Um, uh, But, you know, I often say to people, because we still have to find a way to talk to people, but I often try to just communicate to people, like, what would happen if China, China, like the biggest country in the world, subjugated by European and U.S. imperialism for over 100 plus years, striving to get out from under that yoke and they had a they had they had a revolution that was successful in 1949 and they broke that yoke like what would its absence and its continued existence and its economic development and all the help that it's you know and there are parts of it where their foreign policy you know was contradictory but all of the help that just their existence and now their step forward in assistance to the rest of the world has given to the rest of the people in the world. What would this world be like after the collapse of the Soviet Union and the outright dominance of the United States, where the United States just used the collapse of the Soviet Union as a signal to go around and take as much property and destroy as many, uh, destroy as many countries, break up Yugoslavia, attack Iraq, you know, take over the Panama Canal by, you know, you know, unleashing a a horrendous overnight war against the Panamanian people and on and on and on and on and on, right? All the destruction, again, of the the people of Iraq have endured and the threats against everybody else if China had not stayed independent and, 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 and forthright and dogged in its independence. What would we, where would we be if the U S had no, you know, counterweight like, like China, you know, even a country China hasn't really, until recently, even opposed the United States that much. They've just asserted their right. You know, what what would it mean for the rest of the people of the world? That's what I say to people. And, you know, some I think a lot of times that helps, uh, you know, and I think we can talk to people and just say, look, you know, China is 1.6 billion people. They have the right to their existence. And look, you know, I mean, at the very least, you can see they're not doing that bad. 
you know, if we just look at things sort of concretely, you know, and, and, you know, we can even appeal to people on the basis of they're doing much better in a lot in most ways. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, if we have a, if we have a hope to get out of this pandemic, you know, Europe and the United States, they have a lot of resources, a lot of money, maybe the vaccine, maybe treatments will be found here. I mean, cause there's a lot of money and resources, right. And people are dying and there's a lot of profit to be made off of a vaccine. But, you know, our, our biggest hope and sort of the type of coordination we need to move forward in the world, I, I got to say it's China. I mean, just is such a large country and the and what they've done. But I don't know. Well, just in the in the time we have left, if you can respond to that briefly and then add whatever you want in terms of like what you're working on, where you want to point people toward or what you think we ought to be doing. Why don't you just... Um, you know, conclude the interview. Sure. So I'll just say, um, you know, to everything I, yeah, you said that I agree with, I, I do want to add that probably our biggest task right now is to sever the notion and to, to work, do real analysis and work in our organizations and our movements in all of the political work that we do it's very important that we focus on this idea that China's rise comes at the expense of working class people in the United States. This is a very important task because over the last, especially 30 years since the 1990s, this narrative of the jobs are being shipped to China at the expense of the American worker has indeed succeeded in uh, the consciousness of many working class people across all um, areas. And I think uh, that we need to do deep analysis of that, understand, <laughs> of course, that the United States is a hegemonic power and ultimately was uh, breaking deals with whoever it could, as, as you said, in the post-Soviet period, it was uh, you know, trying to spread the there is no alternative, the TINA model across the world through uh, imperial aggression and uh, economic sabotage, that that uh, was the modus operandi of the ruling class in the post-Soviet period and up until today. But we do have to begin to uh, push back against this idea because that is the fundamental question and issue that will be the basis of support for war against China and for the ongoing aggression towards China by the United States. There's no appetite for a military confrontation in and of itself. But if you can connect that military confrontation to the material well-being of working people, then as we see with Trump right now, you can have political success. And that's how the Trump administration even came to be, was by wedding, which is historic in nature, the idea that uh, white supremacy and white power is ultimately an economically beneficial uh, system and ideology for working people. That, that is how we've gotten to the situation we've gotten to today. So, uh, you know, you can follow my work uh, on Twitter uh, at Spirit of Ho, Spirit of H-O. You can follow me on Facebook. Um, and every week I write a column for blackagendareport.com. And you can find me there as well as American Herald Tribune. All right. Thank you so much, Danny. Uh, wow. It was a pleasure to actually get to really conversate with you for the first time, uh, officially, sort of face-to-face, because -face, uh, disclosure, we're, we are on Zoom, so we are face-to-face. -face. I hope to have more discussions with you, and I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate it. This is your host, John Beecham, again. Uh, imploring you, well, asking you to go right now or wait till after the podcast, perhaps, or you can go right now to mass-action.org. That's the website for Mass Action Podcast and Publications Platform. Some of the things you can find on the website, the latest article, which is uh, coronavirus update number three, the open up movement is a death march for workers and oppressed people. You can also find a link to a petition to stop the open up movement now. You can fill out the socialism survey. Mass Action is circulating a very important socialism survey. 
Lastly, but not least importantly or less importantly, you can become a patron. Please become a patron if you find Mass Action uh, useful or helpful or inspirational or motivational or a source of hope and uh, decent analysis or good analysis, become a patron. Uh, you can find a link to the Patreon for Mass Action at mass-action.org. Uh, you can also go to Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash massaction, or you can just search Mass Action on patreon.com. All right, we are joined by Oscar Bastille from Beijing, live from Beijing, China. Uh, Oscar is, that's right, Oscar is the host of the Marxist Think Tank podcast. I believe you're housed on SoundCloud, is that right? Uh, that's right, yeah, you can find us on SoundCloud and uh, we'll be on iTunes and uh, YouTube soon. That's great, that's great. Just like Mass Action is, we're headquartered on SoundCloud, but we're actually available wherever you can find podcasts for the most for the most part. Thank you for joining, Oscar. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So let's get right into it. Uh, you're in Beijing, here in the United States. Uh, the characterization of the way China has responded to the the coronavirus uh, epidemic pandemic has been greatly, greatly uh, mischaracterized. And beyond that, uh, really the media here, the Trump administration, and really the whole establishment. You have governors suing China over the coronavirus here in the United States, ridiculously. Right. Right. Uh, has been one to just use the coronavirus, you know, during the pandemic, not to actually save lives here. I mean, the United States has a third of the world's coronavirus cases. Right. Almost 30 percent of the world's deaths um, not to do that, but to literally uh, use use the crisis to attack China. Uh, mm. And again, using all these mischaracterizations and lies. So I'm hoping mm. you as someone who is actually in China can help uh, from, you know, just your perception of being on the ground there, how China mm. has how you feel China has responded to the crisis. Yeah, sure. I mean. Uh, I'm also seeing, obviously, I have access to uh, everything. I can see all the, the stuff coming out of the U.S., coming out of uh, different parts of the world. And, uh, yeah, some of the stuff that you hear and some of the stuff that's being uh, accused or sort of pushed against China, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> some, some wild claims are being made. Um, you know, before we go back into that, I think, yeah, I'll talk about the stuff on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been um, very impressed by... Uh, the response in Beijing, particularly, obviously, that's what I can see is where I live. Um, and I do have relatives in different parts of the world. So I have some relatives in the UK, uh, some in Spain, and then some in like uh, South Africa, for example. And, um, you know, speaking to them and hearing what they're going through comparatively, uh, yeah, Beijing's response, China's response has been really, really impressive. Um, you know, uh, we obviously went on to Chinese New Year at the end of January, so uh, all of all of Beijing, all of, all of the country, pretty much, uh, it's the biggest movement of people, uh, you know, at any point in the year, anywhere in the world, where all the Chinese obviously head home to hometowns and go on holidays in various places for their New Year's. And um, obviously, we were on working, uh, and we obviously went to the same thing as that. We, we wanted to leave. So I went up north to Harbin to do some skiing and stuff to a beautiful city in the north of, of China, Heilongjiang province. And uh, obviously at that point we knew that we'd heard in the news that there was, there was something, that something had been detected. Um, you know, there was a potential virus happening uh, and, and, and obviously in Wuhan. And within about, that was on, a, you know, January 23rd, 20, I went on leave and, uh, you know, we'd already heard something. So our worker told us, you know, okay, um, be careful, uh, try and, you know, wear a mask, make sure you're wearing your mask uh, straight away. You know, the, the, the idea of wearing masks and being careful was already being put out by the government, being put out by uh, companies were being told to, to advise their staff certain things. And um, yeah, and then by the time I'd finished uh, sort of two or three hundred days of, of, of uh, you know, skiing or whatever on Harbin, uh, even when we got into Harbin, we noticed that the amount of people walking around had already uh, was far less than we expected. 
you know, Harbin at that time of the year, Harbin at Chinese uh, New Year is supposed to be packed, absolutely packed. It's got this big ice sculpture city that you visit and uh, all of the uh, uh, things that we've been told were that it's going to be absolutely crowded. It was still, it still were people. It was still, uh, you know, wasn't barren, but the amount of people was already massively reduced. It's seen people that had taken the advice and taken the warnings to uh, perhaps not travel as much was already taking place. Um, for instance, on New Year's Eve itself, so um, Chinese New Year's, New Year's Eve, uh, I was on a train from uh, from a sort of skiing town, the famous sort of snow village they have, to back to the Harbin city. And uh, there was two other people on the train, me and my girlfriend and two other foreigners. There was not a single Chinese passenger on the train. Uh, the staff were there and, and we were driving past and you could see people were firing fireworks from their gardens and you could see the celebrations were on, but, uh, you know, there was a massive, you know, drop in, in presence of people, uh, especially for what you'd expect at that time of the year, which the equivalent to the, you know, Chinese Christmas or Chinese New Year, whatever you want to call it, the, the festive season. So, um, you know, uh, yeah. So yeah. at that point, we, we'd already seen a lot of, a lot of, uh, a big change, you know, people had already taken the advice uh, people, people here listen to the government, you know, they, 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 sure. they sure. take the advice. They don't sort of ignore it and, uh, and think, oh, it's, you know, ah, we're not going to do that. They, 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 they do listen to their government. They do, uh, you know, uh, they are in tune. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's very interesting what you say there. Um, because in a way, people if people are looking at china from the outside and looking at at it through the lens of what we're hearing here and even just maybe basic perceptions of how people in the united states or people in europe uh view other parts of the world mm -hmm. uh the perception would be like okay well they did well but it was draconian they stomped they stamped on people's rights there People mm -hmm. there are more brainwashed because they're mm -hmm. use that whole Asian stereotype where they're more collective. They're not free thinking, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot and I, I'm really interested you brought this up because, you know, I'm thinking about it. Well, you know, people there just, you know, if something like this happens, they just, they, you know, the government says wears, wear masks or if they have this this thing going on. You know, people are going to feel uncomfortable, actually, if they don't take the collective um, sort of responsibility to wear a mask. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you know, it's like a small it, it is an inconvenience. Believe me, I've been wearing a mask. Yeah, it's you know, I, I, seriously, the one time I had to wear a mask um, for three or four hours, um, it, it, you yeah. know, it was it was very, very difficult so it, it in a way it's a small inconvenience but it's not a small inconvenience when I mean, you have people here in the united states who are literally just not accustomed to thinking like that you know thinking yeah. like okay these the people in china they're literally taking collective responsibility and they would feel uncomfortable going out in public without a mask because they would be feeling yeah. like you know they were harming themselves like they were yeah. harming their own people they're they were harming their own sort of essence is the wrong word but yeah. You know, it's like completely different than you hear here, where it's like, you know, supposedly just like, you know, totally a top down country, a communist dictatorship. But no, no, no. Like in China, the reason why they've been successful is because they literally have, um, you know, decades here, whatever thing people, the different uh, ideas people have about exactly what, you know, the Communist Party in China is or exactly what type of socialism uh, China is. They definitely have a collective underpinning, I believe, buttressed by the socialist revolution they had there and the experience they have had at, you know, sort of, uh, um, you know, taking an independent path of sticking together. It's not genetic. Yeah. It's not something necessarily like cultural even. It's like historical. It's a historical part uh, of their struggle. And it's what, what has allowed them to behave in a certain way collectively in responding to the virus, like you said. I mean, the government yes. said, said this is a problem and everybody took it seriously. Here, yeah. people are here. People have responded with fear. Right. Um, or fear or just like literally like you can't do this to me. I'm going to go out and do what I want to do, um, yeah. regardless of what's going to happen. And right. it's just it's a whole it's because we have a different system here. It's because we have yes. a different institutional structure. Right. right. It's, I think there's also something else which which I think people might not be aware of is um, 
you know, this virus happened here first. And yeah, you know, the, the first bad outbreak was here. You know, there were, uh, you know, up to 80,000 cases. And then, you know, it, back in, in February and, and in the early days of the virus, you know, it was, a, we were, you know, we, we, were, we were scared and we were all looking at the statistics every day and um, no one was at work and stuff. But um, something right. that, talking about how people responded compared to other places. Uh, you know, I, I saw, I saw footage, I'm sure as everyone else did, of, of, did of people fighting over toilet paper in Australia and people um, fighting over this and queuing out, out of the supermarket, out of the door for like, you know, hundreds of meters or even, you know, I don't know how far, but, uh, and that's still happening, I believe in some places. And something that I, li- I did not see at all in Beijing. So where I lived is, um, probably about uh, four supermarkets sort of close to me that I drive past. Uh, I have a, a, a motorbike, a scooter. Um, and cool. People doing electric, electric one. But um, uh, yeah, there was not one single instance where I went to the supermarket and there was a queue uh, going outside the door. And what? Not, not in one supermarket did I see a shortage of any goods, no toilet paper shortage. No, um, no pasta shortage. Uh, the only thing I saw that was slightly reduced in supply was maybe there was a slightly less or lower selection of milk and, and, and yogurt. That was it. Um, and so I, I, that was what really baffled me was the panic buying and the um, fighting over toilet paper and the uh, almost apocalyptic queues outside the supermarket. That did not happen here at all that I saw when I was driving around and I was, you know, I live here. It was my daily experience. I did not see it. I had to go to the supermarket various times. I didn't, it didn't happen to me here at all. Right, right. And uh, from, from all I can see, I spoke to colleagues about this because that's what was baffling me was I was speaking to relatives and friends around the world and they were showing videos of themselves in queues and, and I was just, this, this was not, not something I saw and didn't, it didn't happen here at all. Which uh, again, which you know, I, I don't know which element of of um, of other societies that taps into. I think maybe that the information that receives that people receive and the sort of tendency is that uh, is to be quite to panic and to sort of uh, maybe not be calm and, and, and sort of take some assurance in how how things are going to be handled as a collective. I, I don't know, but all I saw was that we did not have panic and chaos uh, mm. in the streets of Beijing in terms of trying to buy products and then people being forced to stay at home. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing for people to under, to know, um, mm-hmm. you know, that it doesn't have to be people living in the United States have a really not, it's not their fault, but they have, you know, a really sort of disconnect from how other people live and how things could be even in South Korea where they've done sort of very um, intensive testing and contact tracing Hmm. um you know people people here really because they grow up in the in this place that's the seat of empire and Hmm. imbued with this sort of uh arrogance again i don't think it's anybody's fault uh you know and just like you know the trump administration was saying oh we can handle this this is not a problem it's not going to affect here like like somehow like the united states is different Right. You know, like exceptional. But what it really is, is also just a profound disconnection with um, with the rest of the world. It's it's uh, it's part of the oppression here. It's mm-hmm. just thrown at the population time after time after time that there's something superior about the United States, U.S. supremacy um, and that whatever's happening in the rest of the world is somehow, you know, not important you know, or yeah. the way that people live or the way they handle things. Yeah. it's uh, just at the bottom of it, you know, um, it's a shame. And I'm glad you're able to you know, come on the podcast and share that. But I, I kind of wanted to shift gears a little bit here, although, I, you know, maybe I can make a, a segue. But I saw a headline in the New York Times um, and I read the article, but I'm not really going to talk about the article, but because I think the headline is pretty interesting. And it was like, China defensive. United States leadership, leaderless, right? right? So the whole thing, and you know, it's kind of a scaremongering thing, but the whole thing, they, they led with China as defensive. Do you know what I mean? And, and the whole thing was that um, China's like lying about stuff, hiding stuff, somehow trying to undermine the world by using, you know, their success 
as a way to undermine U.S. <laughs> democracy. I right. mean, it's just uh, like I point I, this I, out because then there are so many examples. It's all just so atrocious and and it would be laughable if it wasn't so so dangerous. I, I, right. I, I think I think with this, it's it's you know I think some people might have seen there's a video that uh, oh, yeah. the, the Lego video where mm -hmm. there's the two Lego characters speaking. One of them represents China, one represents the U.S. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go through the entirety of the, of the video, but basically what the message is, is that sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't, that the Chinese government's response to this, it doesn't particularly matter what they did or how they did it. Uh, they would always find some sort of flaw. And also, depending on either way, if, if China had been completely, uh, uh, had full lockdown everywhere, which, which we didn't, um, then they would have been, you know, accused of being draconian and stamping on human rights. And if they did stop people spreading panic and chaos, they would also be, uh, you know, yeah, again, stamping down on human rights and, and being dictatorial. But if they didn't do anything, then, you know, I'm sure they would have been accused of, oh, well, not caring for uh, the potential loss of life and, and stuff. So, you know, it's very uh, frustrating uh, to sort of yeah. think about, uh, to try and find a sort of balanced view on these things, because it's either just sort of one series of accusations or another, regardless of the course of action. Um, I mean, that's at least how, uh, how I look at it and how I feel about it is that it's very difficult to try and find a balanced view of these things that actually sure. try to take a good account and tries to balance some of the uh, good stuff that, 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 that the government did. But, and, and also, you know, there were mistakes and, uh, you know, the guy in Wuhan, some various officials in Wuhan were, you know, have been fired and punished. And, uh, and there will be, you know, criminal proceedings against uh, parts of the government, because that's also one thing that I noticed about, that I do notice about uh, particularly Western media in relation to the Chinese government is that it looks at the Chinese government as a monolith, the Chinese state and the Chinese government and China as a whole as a monolith. Right. And that's not an accurate description of how China is run. I mean, China is the size, continentally speaking, the size of Europe and then populationally speaking, wise, you know, it's, it's, it, got 1.4 billion people so it's not run uh with a single line directly from from beijing you know there's a lot of autonomous regions a lot of uh localized leadership and provincial leadership mm -hmm. that plays a massive role uh the central government isn't able to actually run the country uh in a, in a very top-down fashion it's got a lot of regionalization and this is not just my opinion this is something that you can find reference in lots of uh, books and um, you know, political discussion about how how China is actually run by the CCP. But um, so yeah, so the, the the mistakes that were made, you know, people were have been punished and blamed, and will be uh, yeah, will be properly dealt with. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, sure. yeah. So but, you know, I, I don't think anyone can say that, that anyone's response to this has been perfect. Uh, oh sure, there have been mistakes. I, I I agree with that view. Sure, and I, I would even go as far to say, I mean, in the U.S., we haven't dealt with this in a very long time. I mean. China mm -hmm. has, you know, other countries have dealt with something like this. South Korea, part of the reason why South Korea has responded the way they have is because they've actually had physical, um, you know, dealings with uh, recent epidemics, you know. Um, so I don't forgive the U.S. government at all because there's no excuse for not being prepared for something that's decades that we've had knowledge of that's a likelihood for decades and mm -hmm. that we that there are months to prepare. I mean, there's no excuse yeah. for that. Well, I, think, but, I, think, I think that's also something important to mention is just on a quick note, sorry. Is yeah, that, no, no. Yeah, it's that, you know, this, when I was, when we were going through the, the sort of harshest, worst parts of the virus back in, in February and, and uh, yeah, through February, it was, it was odd. We would you know, tune into the news elsewhere. And obviously it was being reported on, but uh, people, it didn't seem that the, uh, the concept that this might, takes uh, hold in the US or the UK or wherever, it hadn't really struck people. And my parents were speaking to them and I was planning to come and visit. And then they were like, okay, well, yeah, no, maybe you can just stay in, in for two weeks and then maybe you should just stay here. Maybe you should just stay home and not fly back and, you know, wait for this to all blow over. And, and now we're looking, you know, fast forward by three or four, five, six weeks. Yeah. Now it's the complete opposite. Now I'm in the safe place and I'm like, Right. Thank God I didn't go back to any other country. <laughs> no. The one I'm getting at is that yeah. it's almost it's bizarre that many countries did not see the writing on the wall. Um, you know, we had uh, a developed and developing economy within China be completely gripped by this thing, and they had to impose various measures to fight it. 
And mm. the extent to try and stop that, you, you know, people didn't, governments around the world did not take appropriate measures to, to try and prevent it arising um, in, in their country. Yeah, I mean, the irony is, is, and I feel this way, I feel like I'd be safer in China right now for sure. Uh, yeah. Rather than the United States, you know, and to hit on something else you said, uh, the whole thing about this mono, the monolith, the, those people are a monolith, uh, and that there's maybe even one person, you know, like Xi Jinping, yeah, Xi Jinping, uh, or, or, or like in North Korea, they do the same thing, you know, the one person is the entire country. It's complete nonsense. It's actually, it's well, it's obviously just uh, racist, and it's a way to package China to the people here always in very simple sound bites. They can just say to people, well, they all think alike, and so yeah. this is what China is. Exactly. Um, it's very damaging. Honestly, it's very damaging to the political and social and just, you know, sort of individual consciousness of people who live in a country like the United States or the UK or other, mm-hmm. or other European countries. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go, you know, running out of time, but I'm kind of going to kind of like, um, I was thinking as you're talking uh, to ask maybe a, a simpler question that might be very revealing. It's just, what is it like there now? Like, what is it like in China right now? Yeah, I mean, do you mean in relation to the virus or just in Yeah, China? yeah, no. What's your what's what's daily life like in Beijing and other parts right, of China right. to the to the amount to the extent you can speak to it? I mean, you could speak to it more than I can because I'm sitting yeah, yeah, you know, no, in my sure. apartment I mean, in Chicago, Illinois, in the United States. I can't really speak to no, what, no, right. what, what I mean, things are like on the street in China. Right. So um, you know, this is the thing. You know, we never actually went in Beijing, we never went into full lockdown. So I was never, ever at any point uh, forced to stay in my house, in my, my apartment in, in, in Heidi. In Interesting. Um, what we had was because it coincided with Chinese New Year, people were away and various shops were closed already. They extended leave. So the streets have been quiet or were quiet um, for longer, for you know six weeks. But my supermarket never closed. Uh, my the, the only thing that really was at the worst of it, the, the 7-Eleven across the street from my, my apartment was closed, uh, which was, which was, that was deeply shocking to me. <laughs> but um, uh, apart from that, <laughs> restaurants, um, you know, I could always find a restaurant to go and eat at, uh, but you know, there was a, there was limited choice back at the worst of it. But um, as of this week, you know, we are pretty much at normal life now. The only thing that I don't have open is the gym. My gym isn't open. And um, are you working out? Menu, at, are you, wait, I'm interested uh, in this actually. You're working out at home because I work out a little bit myself. Right. I, I've, I've purchased, as I'm sure most of the world has now, I've purchased two, uh, two dumbbells and some plates, and uh, we bought a running machine, me and my girlfriend. So that's, that's what I've had to do. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But even, well, we, even we need to know that. We need to know that. It's important. Yes. <laughs> so that, that's that. That's what I have in my house. Yeah, but I've been using that. It's been. It's. It's been. I, I, I'm missing the gym. Let's just say that. Um, but what was I going to say? Yes. So as of last week, so what happened when the full measures were in place was that each house, each uh, people live in apartment buildings generally in Beijing, and each so maybe a cluster of three apartment buildings has a shared gate that you can get into, that obviously access to the street. And usually there's a little security guard there, a little, little hut. And what each community did was that they set up a little tent and the, the homeowners association, the residents association, I don't know whether it was even maybe the local party, I don't know what the specific organization of it is, but people that live in this house, in the apartments would all volunteer to spend whatever, two hours and go down there and you had, and still have right now, it's still operating, but I think it's going to be gone by next week, maybe or within a few weeks. Uh, they have a little house and a little hut, a little tent. And every person that's coming in and out of the neighborhood has their temperature checked. And each person has also got their own little paper or you know cardboard laminated card with a little picture of yourself. And this has not been made by the government. This has been made by each homeowners association. Uh, so I've actually moved apartments over the course of the virus outbreak so three months ago now, but two months ago now. But um, my previous apartment building, they created their own little one. So it's a little piece of card that each community has made just to keep track of who's who and who's living where. And anyway, so you come into your, if you're, if you're coming in, 
you show your little paper card, but generally they know who you are because you know we all live in the same building. They recognize each other. And obviously, I'm particularly recognizable. Um, and they check your temperature, and then you go and you go home. And when you leave and you go to the supermarket, some will check your temperature as you walk in. And if you go to the mall, they will check your temperature. So your temperature is still being checked everywhere, uh, wherever you go, day, on day to day, day basis, like on the day to day basis, right? And that's still right now. Um, and even if you have food delivery, so uh, 10 days ago, food deliveries would arrive at the gate or any delivery. So if you ordered stuff of Taobao, Alibaba, as you probably know it, um, if you ordered something, it would arrive and it usually would be dropped off at the gate, but during the virus was, uh, sorry, dropped off at the door, but during the virus would be left at a, a little platform at the, at the, by the tent where the residency, residence association was. So um, you would have to go down and get these things. But now, as of today, you can get stuff at your door again. But what's carried on is if I order, I don't know, McDonald's or KFC or whatever, uh, some noodles, it will arrive in a packet, obviously, and on the receipt will be the temperatures of all the people that made the food as well. No uh, way. No yeah, way. So, so, so the, the temperature checking has been the most, uh, you know, that's the new thing. So your temperature is checked all the time. and keeping track of people's temperature has been their sort of big blunt instrument. It's not a perfect instrument as we all know that you can sure. still have the virus without, um, without symptoms, without temperature, but you know, it, it certainly is one way of, 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 of trying to curb or trying to identify uh, people that are at risk. And the other thing is obviously the phone on your app. Uh, if you go to the, if you go to the mall, uh, or to a restaurant, um, there's an app that, that you have, which is called the health kit. And obviously you sign up to it and you can scan it and it, it'll give you green, yellow or red status, depending on um, primarily based on your travel. So if you were away from, if you've gone out of Beijing, uh, you, you, you become yellow and so you might not be allowed into a certain restaurant or whatever. But that was quite a new thing, to be honest. That, that's actually been like since this month, not, 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 not last month. Sure, but, uh, sure. Yeah. So, so I guess there's quite a, in terms of like what's changed right now, I can do anything I want apart from go to the gym, uh, and my temperature's being checked everywhere. So that's the only th that's what it's life right right now. Like life is like right now. Everything's pretty much back to normal. Well, that's interesting. You know, I have, I know some of the stuff that's going on in China. I didn't know actually probably half of the stuff you told me, or maybe more. But I, I know that they're doing uh, very much you know, sort of community center things where you have lots of people volunteering. Hmm. Everybody's being, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but everybody's being checked on in China. They're not, you know, they're, um, things are working uh, on a level there that we can only hope to aspire to in the United States. I mean, I know, I think personally that if we had the type of society where we could organize people, for example, just to, as, as paid volunteers or as volunteers to to aid with this, even the social distancing. Mm. Um, or we could be using the public spaces, but we could be using them in a way where, you know, we just go onto an app and sign up for an appointment to public space and everybody's mm. social distance and there's people there helping and everybody has PPE, for example. Um, mm. It's not a problem. I think that would be very easy to achieve here in the United States, but we just, we, we have a class society, like a thoroughly class society, a racist society, an oppressive yeah. society. It's society, particularly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, so much so, so much so. Alienated. People are just so alienated and dislocated from like what's appropriate and what's proper, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I just, it, it's, it's, a, it's it, there's a lack of, uh, of human connection here that people experience on a very profound level. I mean, at the same time, I, I have great optimism in the people who live in the United States because I believe they're human just like anybody else. Um, I, don't think, I don't think it's a genetic thing that separates the actions of the people from the, of the United States from the actions of people of China. I think it's a systemic thing. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a social scientist and I believe those, you know, it's a dialectic. Those, those things can be easily, they can be easily turned around because I will tell you, honestly, most people who live in this country are doing the right thing. Um, the reason why, the, except for New York, there hasn't been a complete breakdown in the healthcare system is not because of the people running the healthcare system or the people running the government. It's just because regular people have been like, I should do this to stay safe and to keep other mm -hmm. people safe. No, I mean, totally honest. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yes. 
you see lots of examples of people like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, but you also see predominantly examples of people, you know, there's less traffic, there's less people on the streets. Um, you know, people are by and large, you know, trying to do the right thing, although it's kind of hard here because, you know, we don't have, they were telling us not to wear masks at first. I mean, which is ridiculous. They're telling like people yeah. like my wife, like, you don't need to wear a mask at work. She's a nurse. Right. You know, right. I mean, I'm, you're just like, you know what, but, but people, you know, people here, uh, by and large, uh, by the millions are getting it and doing the right thing. If there was a social infrastructure to do the right thing, it would happen here too. Yeah. You know? No, so, I, I don't think it's, a, it's particularly, uh, you know, it's it, any country could, could have have yeah, yeah. something similar to this, you know, the solidarity, uh, you know, working together with each other. It's not a uh, genetically Chinese thing. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you entirely that, um, and, and I think we have seen uh, people, you know, showing that's the signs of solidarity. I mean, uh, perhaps not to the same scale as here, but, you know, people in the UK all signed up to the, the NHS volunteer program. You know, people are, are banging their pots and pans on a Friday yeah. every week. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is a natural, I think, if anything, it's, it's a human tendency, not a Chinese tendency. It's, a, it's exactly. definitely something that every, every human has. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Oscar. Well, we are, I, we went over time because I'm, I'm actually um, very interested in this. Ho hopefully we can continue the conversation um, uh, on a later podcast or just, you know, one-to-one -one or through some other medium. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. More, more than willing to come on at any time. Yeah. yeah. So do you, I mean, do you have any, in a minute or two, do you have anything else you'd like to add? A plug Marxist um, think tank or anything else or yes perhaps yeah obviously yeah the Marxist think tank you can find us on yeah SoundCloud and of course on Facebook um, you know and people are welcome to join the Marxist think tank it's uh, it's a uh, project I guess an online project where we're trying to get people together online and, and wherever you can organize any capacity to to come up with uh, you know the kind of things we were talking about now solutions to uh, to the ails of capitalism, to uh, alienation, to um, and also just also to to, to normal day to day things, you know, finding a way to entertain ourselves, to produce things in a in a more uh, progressive Marxist sort of um, proletarian internationalist way. Uh, but yeah, find us there and, and join us and, and see what you can add to. You're all welcome to join us. Uh, but yeah, that's that's something. My last thoughts. I think in terms of China and stuff. Um, if any final thoughts, I'd say. Um, uh, you know, it's the biggest country in the world and uh, it's been really interesting to see how it all works together and I've been very impressed by, uh, by it all and I'm looking forward to and hoping that anyone listening, you know, wherever you are in the world that you're stuck in lockdown, that uh, it will end, it will take time, but, you know, keep social distancing if you can, uh, help your neighbours if you can. And uh, yeah, you know, we will pull through this in the end and the world will maybe be a bit more of a conscious place afterwards. Well, I think it will. And I will say this, um, thanks for giving us a glimpse into the future. I, I mean, I think China is actually providing a concrete example of what we can do as, uh, as a human race. And I agree with you. We will come out of this. We will come out of this. Uh, there's going to be a struggle. Um, mm -hmm. You know the 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 forces arrayed arrayed against the people, including U.S. imperialism and European capitalism and and others, uh, mm. don't want to see this crisis turn into into something where the people of the world rise up, take matters into their own hands, and make a mm. make a different world. But they're certainly going to have, I believe, in the near future, and then or in the the less than near future here, they're going to have a struggle on their hands because. I don't know how the U.S., for example, is going to get out of this situation in the short term, especially considering the economic, the possible economic repercussions. Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks, no, I think, perhaps, sorry, I, I know no, that. No, go ahead, go ahead. I think, yeah, also anyone listening to, to uh, stuff that Mike Pompeo is saying, Donald Trump is saying, uh, you know, there's allegations that this was, you know, hatched in a lab in Wuhan. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious to me that this is a very cheap, very easy political football that is trying to be kicked by characters who are quite easily to see 
also have lost their own, you know, legitimacy, have been, you know, been making fools of themselves. So, uh, you know, Five Eyes, the, the sort of joint intelligence uh, group, um, the Western, you know, intelligence groups have said that they don't have any evidence that this was oh, yeah. in the lab environment in, in Wuhan. So don't listen to, sadly, um, <laughs> don't listen to the president of the United States of America. He is an idiot. <laughs> well, he's an idiot. I mean, the, the extent to which you should, yeah, ever, exactly. you should ever listen to a president of the United States of America. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. But more particularly in this yeah, case, yeah. 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 <laughs> more than ever. Yeah, you should listen to the president because they have a lot of power and what they say has, a, has an effect on yeah. um, you know, how things will turn out and how we need to respond. Um, mm. But, you know, we do really, and I didn't even bring that up, the situation with, you know, the U.S. sort of fabric, you know, really really piling it on china and mm. saying that they're intentionally doing this it's just oh my gosh i mean if it wasn't so serious it would be the most ridiculous laughable thing and in a way i think you're right it is discrediting further i mean i don't know what else it's going to take i mean the u.s should be thoroughly discredited in the eyes of the people of the world it's just yeah it's well, I, mean, I mean to yeah. the u.s people but just particularly the u.s core establishment yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. The, 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 the big characters there it's just we're at a point now where you just you cannot listen to what they say it's yeah. it's all politics for them it's all political footballs and yeah. gaming and leverage it's not a reflection of what's happening of reality and also what they're saying is not good for conquering this virus or beating this virus and it's not good for the collective uh, oh no 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 future of humanity across no, the no. and it's most yeah and it's most likely going to get worse here and it might get worse in other places i mean there's certainly the far right in Europe is taking heart from what the far right here is doing in the United States and trying to undermine yeah. any 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 protection we have against the virus by saying just open everything up. I mean, yeah. I I saw there was a demonstration in Ger Germany of the far right saying they need to open up too. So mm -hmm. uh, we you know uh, I think we might be in for an escalation of this this uh, this pandemic and of the struggle here in the United States and maybe in in Europe as well. We'll see. But we need to be prepared to fight, Oscar. And I really appreciate you again uh, coming on Mass Action Podcast. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much, John. No, you're welcome. Anytime. Anytime, actually. I really, I thoroughly enjoyed the interview. All right. That's it for this episode of Mass Action Podcast, episode number eight. Mass Action Podcast can be found uh, on SoundCloud and almost all other platforms that are streaming podcasts. Our website is mass-action.org. Please go and visit now. Support Mass Action Podcast and publications platform. But most of all, keep your heads up, your fists up. Let's stay together and fight. We will win the world that the workers and oppressed people of this planet rightfully deserve. Bye.